We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal may not always make us happy as fans, but as podcasters, they just keep making it easier and easier. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. The news just keeps flowing. You got to record a podcast. You're sitting in front of the microphone. You're pulling your hair out. What are we going to talk about? There's no football. And then news. Lots of news. Lots of rumors. Lots of fun things to dig into. And uh, so I fired up the old WhatsApp. And Tim's got babies. And... And Clive has been on the Ars cast. And Paul's got a tough schedule. It's okay. It's okay because you know what? I don't need any of those fools. I don't need any of those posers because I'm thrilled to be joined by James Benj. You can find him on Twitter at James Benj. You can read all of James Benj's fantastic work at football.london. James, welcome to the pod. I'm delighted to have made the cut. Sounds like by default, but they are oh, the yeah. words in the English language. Yeah, yeah. Way, way down, way down the Rolodex. But you know what? Rolodexes are all the rage with how, how we do all kinds of things at Arsenal these days. So to be in the Rolodex is good. Um, so let, let, we're going to talk a little bit about Tim Lewis and some investigations happening at the club uh, in just a bit. But let's start with the big news of the day. The club announced, um, I, I would say, uh, without a lot of... Suspense, <laughs> uh, the arrival of Willian from Chelsea, a player who uh, we can talk about his quality and what he brings to the club, but I think also from a squad building standpoint, there are people that have different takes on strategically whether this is a move that Arsenal should be doing. So before we get into the particulars of the deal and how he might be used, just your 30,000 foot view of of signing Willian and whether you think it makes sense for Arsenal at this point. Um. I, th- I think if I look at it for next season, I can really justify 
signing him as part of a group of players that get Arsenal in and around those top four positions. I think he's a good player. I don't know if I'm crazy about him at, at number 10. I think a lot of people look at the sort of chance creation stats and, and say, oh, you know, he's, he's made as many as, as De Bruyne. But, you know, if a lot of them are, are crosses, and I don't I don't know if they are, but if I, I have a feeling a lot of them are. And if you're using him as a number 10, well, there you go. There's a key weapon for him uh, diminished. I think it's okay, though. I think um, if, you know, assuming that Mikel Arteta has the same front line uh, now, um, plus Willian, I like the idea of being able to bring Willian off the bench in the 70th minute when it, either it's a game you want to see out, see out or you need to chase it and you need a composed figure. Um, I think that, you know, he's a positive addition to the squad. I, I was not, uh, you know, whether as a fan or a journalist, I was not, you know, excitedly writing articles about how this is going to put Arsenal over the edge. But I think if he's a... If he's a squad option, if he's the first reserve, like the, your sixth man or however you want to phrase it, he's fine. He's good. It's an okay deal. Mm. Um, a bit sketchy about year three, but you would hope that he would give you most of his value in year one. You know, I, I try to look at evidence of certain things being successful at other places as reasons to believe that they can be successful at our place. And that doesn't mean that just because no one else has ever done a thing, that thing can't be successful. We did a thing on our podcast trying to name the best over 30 signings from Arsenal in the last two decades. And <laughs> outside of goalkeepers, you're hard-pressed to come up with a good answer to that question. And then you look around at clubs that we might regard as, as well-run clubs, clubs that sort of seem to have a philosophy that leads them to success, and you struggle to see them doing a lot of this. So, yeah, I mean, do you... Do you think that there's really any evidence out there of moves like this materially benefiting a club in our position, one that's trying to rebuild and get you know back into the conversation, not just for top four, but ultimately for the title in the Champions League, much in the same way Liverpool have? I mean, I setting aside what I think of the player, I don't see a lot of evidence around of 32-year-olds coming to clubs at this stage of a project and, and really... Uh, making a positive impact. I think you, you know, the, the, there's not a huge, there's not a huge number coming to my to mind right away. But if I think of someone like Fernando Llorente at Tottenham, mm. when he came in and served as Harry Kane's backup and was quite good, and you know, the sort of player that would come on and make a bit of a difference for twenty minutes. That sort of player, I think there are a few examples of kind of across European football. They're normally strikers um, rather than creative midfielders who, you know, need to cover more distance. But um, there, is, there is the odd example. But I do agree with you that this is not a deal that Arsenal would, you would normally expect a team like Arsenal to pursue. And, you know, is it because of the pandemic? I mean, Arteta was very clear that they've been looking at Willian for months. But how many months is months? Is that, you know... We saw what was happening to our budgets in April and thought, well, there goes Dominic Shaboshlai or, you know, some real quality young prospect. Mm. We better I just love the way you said that name, by the way. We, we try to say names wrong on this podcast, but, you know, it's okay. No, you're a guest. Yeah. It's just what I go for. Cool. Um, it, it, you know, is it is it a deal that's representative of where Arsenal's finances are at? Because I know there's a lot of talk about wages and bonuses and signing on fees, but... It's not, you know, compared to, you know, what else Arsenal may have have spent that money on in, in a previous life, 
it's not a crazy amount of money. It's all, you know, quite well spaced out over the length of a contract and and things like that. I I don't know. And I, I think it'll be easier to assess it when we kind of have seen a few games and know what, what role Willian is playing. I don't see him being a a key starter. I don't see Arteta playing a four-two-three-one week in, week out, and Willian being, you know, the the creative fulcrum of this team. I don't think he's that good. But I like the idea of him coming off the bench, scoring a few free kicks, putting some good balls in the box. It'll be good. And I, I think off the left with that right foot, there's a few goals in him, but it's it's hard to get carried away, isn't it? I think, you know, you look at some of the the previous business, the business that other clubs are doing as well, and you think is, you know, it's not, a, it's just not, it's just, you know, it's cast-offs, isn't it? It's a player that Chelsea wouldn't really have, have had featuring in their starting eleven very often. You know, they've gone and got Havertz and Ziyech mm. and Arsenal are kind of left with what they've got hanging around the back of the bins. Yeah, and, and Timo Werner and, <laughs> and the list goes on and on. Um, I think certainly the club that had him not wanting to go to three years is a bit of a worry. But setting that aside, there's a lot to unpack here, James, right? Because let's say it's 100000 a week, a free transfer, no big bonus, no big signing on fee. You're talking about roughly £15 million over three years. You know, if you get a player that quality, that experience for $5 million in the first year, and then maybe MLS is looking at him and the wage isn't so bad, so he goes on a free transfer, but they eat the wage, or you get a million pounds from some other league and, and eat a little bit of the wages, like... Five six million pounds for a season of of Willian, while he can still contribute. Like, you know, look, you don't get a backup goalkeeper for that these days. So I I I guess at that level it would be valuable if you are stuck with him for three full seasons. I think the idea that he's contributing into his you know thirty four year old, nearly thirty five year old season is is not realistic. And I think the the real scary thing is only with aging curves. Sometimes it's a slow decline and sometimes it's a cliff. If Willian this coming season is as good as Willian was for Chelsea this past season, he's a good player. He mm. put up good stats in ball progression, uh, f- uh, final third entries, penalty box entries, shot creation events, assists and goals. You know, And I know some of these are sort of um, silly advanced metrics, but they matter because if you look at where Arsenal were terrible, we were bad at getting the ball in the box. We were bad at shot creation, right? bad at key passes, bad at all of those things. The only thing I think is sort of weird we sometimes look at a player and just assume, oh, if he's getting slower and older, he'll be better at this other really skillful, important position. So like people are like, well, you know, as he gets older, maybe he'll just morph into a 10 and that's what we really need. And it's like the notion that a 10 now is just sort of a slower, more stationary, static player. Those days are gone. You know, Kevin De Bruyne is, is the prototype, you know, of, of the new modern 10. And he's about as, as athletic and hard running as they come. So, what do you take from Mikel Arteta's suggestion that he can really help in attacking midfield, given that that is really just pure speculation? It's, that's not to say he can't, but it's certainly to say he hasn't done so previously. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I could see a lot of logic to the to looking at him. You know, when I was looking at some his stats from playing wide on the left, he's actually a little bit better there than on the right, which kind of makes sense. You know, he's cutting onto his stronger foot as a ten. I don't really buy it. I mean, I know you're going through those um, advanced metrics. One of the, you know, when we when you look at the number of chances created, it's very high. But when you then look at his, you know, expected assists and and things like that, they're not. I I get the feeling that the chances William creates are not great chances. Um, I haven't really been able to sit down and watch every single one of his chances um, over the last few seasons. But I also, you know, there's there's just the fact that. 
the one thing I don't think about with Willian is that he's someone with that incisive eye for a pass. And look, if Arsenal need an ageing um, an aging player with an incisive eye for a pass, let me tell you, they've got one. <laughs> We're not the, he who shall not be named, James. Come on. We'll not talk about him. Never talk about him. Um, but I just... I, I'm intrigued by the idea of him playing as a 10 because I don't really see what the qualities are that he brings other than he does work quite hard. I often got the impression watching Chelsea that actually this is a guy that tracks his runners, does things that modern coaches like, but I don't see him as someone that sort of, you know, if Arsenal were playing, if you went back to that Spurs game where uh, Mourinho just said, oh, go on, break us down, see what you can do. I just don't, the Willian I've seen, and I haven't seen as much as people that cover Chelsea, but I've seen a bit, he's not someone that plays that killer final pass that, you know, turns a, a gets through a low block. He just doesn't do that. So, again, it's, it's why I, I can't envisage this team being built around Willian. I can really see a, a, a attempting logic for him being first man up. But I just, I just don't see what he brings that forces his way into the starting eleven. I really don't quite see how the whole team is going to work next season. Looking at, you know, if they play with that back three, um, I don't see William playing, sorry, play with the back four. I don't see Arteta playing a 4-2-3-1 with William at the tip. I then don't see how you've got any midfielders that make the 4-3-3 like function in a pleasant way on the eye. Mm. I think, you know, it, the, it looks like it's going to be really stodgy if Willian is your chief creator. That That's what I worry about more broadly. They're sort of separate to Willian. Who's going to come in and, and, and be a creative figure, both deep and, you know, at the 10? Yeah, and I have to say, James, like, you know, again, just going by Arteta's comments, I mean, there, there, there are rumors that Arteta wanted this player. I mean, it's always hard with the young manager, right? Because, like, if the execs are like, we can get this guy and we're going to go after him, mm. we'd like you to say... You're interested, and you kind of like the player, and you know him, and he's a seasoned pro in the Premier League, and he's not the first name you'd pick. You know, maybe you just get behind it. It's, it's always hard to know chicken or the egg. Like, did Arteta want him, or did the executive say we can get this guy, and we think we should? And Arteta got on board. You don't know those sort of things. But the thing that I thought was interesting in Arteta's comments, aside from talking about him as an attacking midfielder, James, he says, you know, winger was also an area we we were targeting, and I guess I just sort of shrugged my shoulders at that a little bit because. Look, this is a squad with a lot of holes and a lot of needs. Attacking midfielder, a big one. Probably some kind of central midfield upgrade on the the double pivot we have there, especially if Ceballos goes. I mean, I, I don't think you can run out Shaka and Torreira next season, so you got to have someone. Um, and I know Party's name has been thrown out there. I don't know if that, that would happen. Uh, central defender we might be after. Uh, maybe even a striker if Lacazette goes. There are a lot of things I would say we need before winger where we have been using Aubameyang there. We we have 72 million pounds invested in Pepe. We have a guy like Saka who we just re-signed. Martinelli is, you know, still 2021, 20, but but a player you don't want to totally freeze out. I don't know what Nelson's future is. I don't think he really flashed big, but I wouldn't have considered winger to be an area you'd prioritize. Now, to be fair, 100,000 pounds a week on a free transfer wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be a bad way to bolster that department, but do you regard that department as one that needed investment vis-a-vis I'd, I'd the rest put, of the squad? After, other than goalkeeper, assuming the two stay, I'd have put it like right at the bottom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not just that. Um, it's not just that you've got numbers, but you kind of have young numbers that you really need to work hard to make game time for. 
Um, and wherever, I, I mean, I don't know where Willian lines up, but it, you know, it's hard to shake the sense that wherever it is, every minute he takes will be a minute away from someone that Arsenal need to kind of make a really informed decision on. Like, you know, Reese Nelson for me next season could be pivotal. Um, I think there's quite a few doubts about what he's going to develop at, uh, into at Arsenal. Quite a lot of frustration um, about you know whether he could go a little bit harder. Um, it's a delicate way of putting it, whether he could be a bit more decisive. Um, and then obviously at the 10, you've got Emil Smith-Rowe coming back. And I don't think you can, you know, hand the keys over to him when when Arsenal play a 4-2-3-1. But equally, I don't think you can hand them over to, to Willian. It's, mm. yeah, I mean, what I have, I, again, it's that thing of, you know, I that everything sort of has to be short-term focused because, You've just got to get back into the Champions League, but so, well, can can I can I just interject there? Do you mind? Yeah. It's sort of an on-brand thing we do here. Um, <clears throat> like, yes, I, I agree. We need to get back to the Champions League. I think this idea that every window should be based on moves to try to get you right back into the Ooh. Champions League next season is a mistake because even if those moves work, and let's be honest, they haven't. We've made a lot of short-term moves that were like, oh, they'll make sense if we just get back in the CL, and instead of getting closer, we're getting farther. We finished eighth, but like. The other problem is, let's say you make moves that don't make sense for the long term, and you somehow find your way back in the CL, you haven't started a project that can then move you up to third, to second, to first, to winning the CL, to winning the Premier League. Like you've, What you've done is you've mortgaged your future for short-term gain. Now you could say, well, once you're in the CL, you've got a little bit of money. Yeah, I mean, sure, you have some extra money you can spend, but if you've tied up your resources in ways that hamstring your, your, your squad building, like... I don't know that you can make that trade-off. And I, I hate to constantly reference Liverpool. We only do it because they were in the wilderness. They they had a plan. They followed their plan, and it worked. And granted, that helps when you can sell Coutinho for 120 million pounds. I get it. But like, I look at the signings they made, and they're almost all under 26, 27 years old in this project. They, they planned for a future beyond just clawing back into the Champions League. So that, that, that short-termism, I, I understand... I, I do. I understand it. Mm. But we've kind of been doing that, and I, I don't think it's been working. Now, look, a lot of this thing with William, to me, boils down to what amount of resources we have invested in him. So, I mean, you certainly feel free to finish the thought you were on, but I also wanted to just sort of ask you to put on the Big J journalist hat and, and see if you had any sort of insight into what you think those wages might be. Yeah, I mean, I, I, in terms of what I was saying before, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, that would be my worry that you, you know, William will still be in your squad if you're if you qualify for the Champions League, and he will still be earning. You know, as I understand it, it's somewhere between 100 and 120. It's not bad, is um, it? It's not terrible. Like, mm. It's not terrible, but that's the same wage that you gave to Sead Kolasinac, and William is. I don't know. I don't know what the signing. Well, when you be. put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I know it's not cheap. Uh, I know he will have earned a significant signing on fee. And, um, you know, you, you can chuck them on top of that bonuses that will be linked to Champions League qualification. Um, I don't know about any others, but certainly in relation to Champions League qualification, I'm sure anything beyond that would be a bit ambitious if you were Arsenal. But, you know, I mean, I know there's been a lot of debate about this this story in the in the Daily Mail and it all comes down to, you know, how do you calculate, do you calculate across the length of the contract? Do you kind of want to know actually how much am I paying week in, week out? And I think as long as you're consistent, kind of any metric is fine. But 
William will be well paid for his services. A, a, a generous signing on fee um, is what I've heard, and I don't I don't want to put a number on it, but that's all coming out of what little transfer budget there is, um, and there's still a bit of money left, as I understand it. But um, if you look at the the players that Arsenal are targeting, they've got to sell, and they've got to sell for really good money, um, and they've got to sell players that maybe aren't that good for good money. Um, you know, basically, <clears throat> if you want. Arte and Ceballos on loan, you've got to sell uh, Guendouzi and Torreira for, I would say, about, fifth, well, but really about Partey's release clause and a bit more. Mm. Uh, you're probably going to have to sell players you don't want to. We've seen that with Ainsley Maitland-Niles, that if a good offer comes in, they'll take it, even though they'd rather not, just because he's a valuable asset. I think you will see, this is me speculating, um, I think you'll see the same with Rob Holding. We can debate at length whether holding will come good. Um, but, you know, in the end now, it's probably best to just try and realise the value of that asset. I was talking with um, Andrew Arsblog about this. Like, you can't have players like holding, um, or, you know, in the past, Welbeck, Wilshire, mm. Ramsey, just sat on your books, earning you nothing. Not quite, certainly in the case of uh, like a Welbeck or a holding, not quite pushing you on to any great level. Um, and, you know, Eddie, Eddie's kind of indicated this, that Arsenal need to be quite aggressive in selling. Um, the problem they have is that they've got players, again, that, were, you know, going back to this short-term view, let's get Socrates in. Um, you know, he will be good for a year, so we'll give him two and a half, three, was it three-year contract? And you get to the final year of that contract. And obviously, these are unique circumstances. And before the pandemic, he was saying to us, you know, if, if if Arteta doesn't want me around, I'll go. But now he's very clearly saying, well, I know Arteta doesn't really you know, want to play me very often, but I'm going to stay because it's in my interest to be a free agent in 2021, not you know entering the transfer market in, in 2020. So, I mean, and that, that brings it back to what you were saying earlier, that, you know, these short-term, every short-term deal you make, it's, it's got a long-term payoff. And I can just see in two years' time us talking about, well, you know, there's not really a market for Willian. And it'd be like Mkhitaryan where Arsenal are basically going to have to, you know, eat the wages and mm. accept nothing, just, you know, see what they can do to get him off the books. Well, and this is the point also, James. Like, I mean, people say, oh, well, who, you know, like Cedric is a deal I didn't love. And people say, well, what big, mm. you know, it's 70 grand a week. It's, you know, in that range, it's not a big deal. It, it strengthens us as backup fullback. Well, we now may be selling Maitland-Niles. And mm. I'm not saying we're selling him because we signed Cedric, but you look at a deal like Cedric's and you say, if you hadn't expended the resources in that way and made the path to playing time more complex, maybe you don't have to sell a Maitland-Niles. But now you have to balance the books at some level. Maitland-Niles brings in money and we're well covered at the fullback position, which is one of the positions he can contribute. And so you're stuck having to sell him. Every decision you make of a player to bring in at some level, winds up leading to a player going out, probably. And in this case, I don't think many Arsenal fans today would rather have Cedric than Maitland-Niles. But that's the sort of Faustian bargain we've made. Last thing on on the Willian deal, before we, I just ask you a couple tricky questions and we'll, and we'll let you go. Um, with respect to how Willian's used, one thing people have brought up to me is, well, look, he can play on the left and Aubameyang can finally play through the middle, which is what you've wanted. Well, first of all, we haven't signed Aubameyang yet, but hopefully that is imminent. I've kind of come around to the idea that we have to do that deal, although if I had a seven-hour podcast, I could talk about why I think it's more complicated than that. But um, the thing is, I have seen no evidence 
that Arteta wants to use Aubameyang through the middle. Yes. And he has talked at length about why he likes him cutting in from the outside and the way he can run off the outside the shoulder of, of a center back between the fullback and the center back rather than you know jostling between two big center backs and having to make those, I think, what can be harder runs. And, and he's obviously been devastating in terms of his goal return there. He works so hard up and down the wing, although as he gets older, I'd rather he not had to do that. But look, I mean, he was playing in Kedia instead of using Aubameyang Central. So the idea that Willian's going to come in, play left, and the plan is to move Aubameyang Central is based on a, a, a sort of speculation that isn't borne out at least by past evidence. I mean, do you do you think he could be looking to do that, or do you sort of agree with me that there's no evidence that he has an interest in doing it? I, I completely agree with you. Um, it doesn't mean that he won't, because... You know, he, you know, Arteta has made reference to to Jamie Vardy and how successful he's been, and I think we can agree that. Well, you have to when you're about to give huge wages to a guy who's 31 years old. Exactly, (laughs) that's why you have to talk about Jamie Vardy. Need to come up with a justification. (laughs) Um, I mean, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Aubameyang started, you know, the season as the central striker and, and potentially, you know, if you almost view Willian as a replacement for Lacazette and Aubameyang moves in field, you get another young striker to compete with Nketiah. Okay, there's a, an interesting idea there. But again, we're we're in the, the realms of speculation and certainly, you know, early next season, what evidence we have is that Aubameyang is a more effective force playing wide on the left. Um it, it just, you know, I don't understand why people are so wedded to the idea that he must play as a central striker. I don't know if it's because, you know, when they, you know, when they play FIFA or some things like that, you know, he's it's the devastating pace. You know, it doesn't quite work like that. And you see so many ways in which Aubameyang playing wide on the left is really effective for the way Arsenal are playing. And, um, you know, we, we see those passes from David Luiz and Xhaka and Ceballos in the gap between the, you know, the defence's right, right fullback and um, right, right fullback, right back, mm. and their right side of central defender, uh, and that Aubameyang can pick them off really easily. Now, maybe as he gets older, he does have to play more centrally, but as Willian, as, as Aubameyang gets older, Willian will also get older and be kind of less used to you in any position anyway. I guess that the, the advantage is it, it just gives you options. I, I think we may... You know, we might see Aubameyang play more centrally, but, you know, as you say, the evidence is that Arteta would rather play a, a raw Eddie Nketiah through the middle with some success, um, mm. but he'd rather do that than, than start Aubameyang up front. And he's had, had a lot of chances also, you know, when Lacazette was out of form, Lacazette was injured. And I think it was, wasn't, it was only that first game in charge where Aubameyang got any time through the middle at all. Um, so it would take quite a shift. I don't know. The only other thing I could say is, is it something Aubameyang wants? And when Arteta says after the FA Cup final, we're building the team around you, does that mean we are reassessing how we play football so that you can play as a central striker because that's what you want to stay? But this is all me speculating. The only evidence I have says that Arteta much prefers playing Aubameyang on the left. Mm. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. So well, let's do this. Let's let's set the William thing aside for now. More of the story is he is a good pro. I, I guess the, the last thing I would just say, I, I I I just said let's set it aside, but I'll ask you this really quickly. Do you buy into the idea that bringing in a player where the primary consideration is that player's sort of experience and maturity and leadership and things, those soft factors, those dressing room factors, do, do you think that 
can be cause for making a move that might otherwise structurally squad building wise be less advisable in the sense that you say we've got Nelson, we've got Saka, we've got ESR, you know, we've got Enkedia, we've got these guys. What value can they be? You see, you know, Louise trying to to teach Maitland Niles at full time. I think it was at the city game or something like that. Mm-hmm. Get in his ear, really have a word with him. Does that leadership matter? Do you think that Williams' arrival, in terms of the way it can help some of those young players, is a consideration for a move like this? It's pretty, it feel, always feels, you know, I, I really believe in things like culture, um, but I also believe that Arsenal's culture was changing without Willian. Um, you know, maybe he's a sort of solid pro who will take Arteta's advice on board and um, will. Uh, you know, will be a really helpful dressing room influence. We'll, we'll get on with things. But, uh, you know, you bring those players in when you need to establish yourself as the boss and you need to earn respect the respect of the dressing room. And, you know, you need to have trusty lieutenants. Like, I know this is very early days, but, you know, and I spoke to Martin Keown about this as well. Arteta doesn't need that anymore. Arteta doesn't need people to to set the culture for him and to explain to the young players why this is all a good idea and why it works. Because, you know, he has made a clearly positive impact and has won a trophy. I don't, I don't see William's value there. And I mean, I don't really, I really don't want to go down this direction, but I would also note that, you know, in a, if I were in the position of a, a senior football executive at Arsenal, I would be very cognizant of who, um, who William's agent is and with the, tendency for William's agent to go on national radio and air the club's dirty laundry for it. And I would not welcome that one bit. No matter how good William is in the dressing room, um, I think it is a bit problematic if his agent heads on to TalkSport to speak on behalf of Arsenal. Mm. Yeah. All right. So you ready to move into some other stuff? Yeah. Okay. So I, I guess... The first thing I would say is that there are reports that Arsenal are investigating the Pepe deal and that Tim Lewis is doing some looking around our our transactions and our finances. Now, some of that is to be expected because there's a huge change in the financial wherewithal of the club uh, in the wake of the pandemic. So some of that is just purely to be expected. Some of it, at least as reported, and you can speak to your own reporting, obviously, um, has to do with some questions about the way some of the money's been used. And, you know, we've just signed another Kia player. That's certainly something to have a look at. And there are some questions about the way money was allocated in the Pepe deal. And so what are your thoughts on this, quote, investigation by Tim Lewis? And how much do you think it is purely um, sort of pro forma businessy stuff that you do when there's a major change in your revenue model? And how much of it is, do you think, more forensic in nature? Oh, it's a a tough one to... To unpack um not least because i think we kind of all need to go back to um the minute that um so chips left and the expectation then that no one would be you know we were very clearly told by arsenal no one's joining the board mm. um so i then thought it was particularly intriguing to bring tim lewis um who has a strong reputation for having an eye on, on the financial details and has seen arsenal's books uh, obviously, before when the the Cronkies were investing in the club, it's it was very interesting, and it it makes a lot of sense in that even before the pandemic, there was a real focus on Arsenal's burgeoning cost base. Even even before they started falling out of the Champions League, there was a sort of 
acceptance that Arsenal were starting to spend a bit too much money. And, you know, you could see that around the stadium. Um, you know, we, we used to joke about things like the ice cream fridge in the media lounge vanishing. Um, it's little things, but these all add up. Um, I'm sorry you know, for your loss. Oh, it was, it, it don't, you know, Charles Watts is still furious. But, you know, <laughs> Tim, Tim Lewis has been brought in, as I understand it, to, to keep an eye on things on KSE's behalf and to have a laser focus on the financials and where money's going. Now, if that is his job, there's no way he cannot look at the Nicolas, Nicolas Pepe deal because it's it's not just the money that is uh, has already gone out. It's the fact that there is more to, to go out. Now, you can't you can't unpay that, but um, it it needs explaining. And um, I would believe that Lewis is there, you know, is there to do that. Um mm. He, you know, it, it is natural to use this opportunity to audit um, a club and that, you know, auditing needs to happen to justify the 55 um, redundancies you've made. You need to, you know, kind of really understand your books um, when it comes into going into conversations with people that you're going to have to let go. So it, it makes a lot of sense to me that that Pepe is one of the things that, that has is said to have come under the microscope. And um, I don't think it will be the last because... Arsenal are, you know, Arsenal have a remarkably high cost base. They have a sizable staff contingent. I think it's double Manchester City's. Um, and that kind of means difficult questions have got to be asked. And, and, you know, Tim Lewis is very much the Cronkies man to do that for them. Mm, you know, look, I mean, Arsenal's a unique situation in a way because KSE hires people to run the club. And they... KSE operate from a, a greater remove than a lot of other owners, I think it's fair to say. And so someone like Raul can come in and, and operate, I don't want to say totally unchecked, but there's I, I don't get the sense that there's been a ton of oversight, that, that KSE is, uh, has put it under the microscope. Now, the changing economic realities may mean that a, 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 a closer look is being taken, which is understandable. I want to ask you something, not as a journalist, just, you know, as someone who observes and is, is interested in Arsenal. Do you have the same concerns about the Kia Drabshian relationship, the closeness of it, the deals that are done? And I don't mean in terms of them being untoward. Something doesn't have to be, um, something doesn't have to be untoward to still be bad practice, right? So, so I mean, do you feel that, the the way this business has been conducted and the closeness with certain agents, Canales and, and, and obviously Kia particularly, do you think that that is a concern, not in terms of ethically, but just in terms of footballistically for Arsenal and, and in terms of how, how the club builds a new squad? Yeah, I, I think that, that, yes, yes, it absolutely is questionable because, you know, if you are to have these close relationships with agents, you have to be kind of getting something out of it. And, at the moment, it seems like, you know, as relationships go, um, Keir Drabchen is gaining a lot more out of this process than than Arsenal are. You know, what they've got is, um, as you say, Cedric at the cost of Maitland-Niles, David Luiz, who, you know, we can debate at length, and, and William. They're getting old players that, that aren't really huge upside. And I have no problem with Sanye having good relationships with agents. It helps, but it's it's questionable that you know if an agent feels sufficiently confident in their relationship with arsenal that they can go and chastise sven mislintat um and you know lambast his many cock-ups apparently 
um, that they can he can talk about what it was pretty clear he was talking about a review of the scouting department before it had been you know publicly announced well it hasn't been publicly announced before it was confirmed when he, he spoke about you know Arsenal needing to get their house in order that that is problematic you know it is not something that he should be um, you know he should be aware of agents are supposed to off, uh, operate with a degree of distance that just can't that can't mesh well with him being in the director's box. I don't, you know, I don't ha- have any reason to to doubt that everything is anything other than above board. It just doesn't seem smart. That's the main thing is why would you allow an agent to do your recruitment when you're Arsenal and you don't need to? I remember speaking to um, another agent, lower profile agent about um, Wolves and why it does make sense for them because, you know, the, the mid-tier players on George Mendes's roster are players that Wolves could never get otherwise. Well, Arsenal don't really need favourable relationships with, with agents to get decent players, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, I would, I would further argue that the idea that the George Mendes relationship at Wolves is definitely positive is something that we will see over time because these things can whipsaw. You can get some good deals mm. early on for Mendes to make himself look good and for Mendes to make his involvement look good and for Wolves to move up the table. And you may wind up getting a lot of garbage that's 31 years old later and be in a relegation battle after he's sort of felt that he he justified his position. I, I, I think the presumption that the Mendes relationship at Wolves is definitively good um, is premature, uh, yeah. but I but I take your point also that look, the all it takes is getting one player of a caliber you couldn't get otherwise at a club the size of Wolves to take you from battling in 16th, 17th to being solidly mid table. Now they're they're beyond that even, and I think they have a a really nicely balanced squad. I think the interesting thing is when you want to be upper mid table, balance works. When you want to be top four, champions, Champions League. It's not about balance. You need some stars to carry you there. And getting stars is a little trickier. So uh, that that's off the beaten path a little bit. Let, let's finish up, though, because I don't, I don't want to let you go without letting you step into some toxic waste. So let, let's get to the most radioactive topic, and that's Mesut Ozil. Just super, super quickly, uh, The Athletic, a, a fine journalistic um, website, uh, certainly uh, a rival of yours and, and one that you uh, do not have to comment on directly, but... Uh, they did po- uh, publish an interview with Mesut Ozil. Now, look, the interview wasn't a neutral debate of th- of the issues. It was Mesut Ozil giving an interview. He spoke on a wide range of topics. I think he spoke well about some um, global social justice issues that we're not going to touch on here, not because they're not important, but just for the sake of time and uh, staying on the topic related to Arsenal. My single biggest question is simply this. Um, Mesut Ozil seems to believe that he was frozen out because of his objection to the wage cut. And his objections to the wage cut seem to be, and again, this is all taking him at his word, seem to be that he didn't have assurances about how the money would be used, about why it was needed. Uh, As we see, other clubs actually didn't do wage cuts or did deferments instead of cuts, whatever the case may be. Um, And that he feels that his objection to that led to him directly being frozen out. Do you have any insight, or even if you don't have insight, uh, intuition about whether that is accurate and a feeling about whether that is um, appro- appropriate behavior by the club? Yeah, I mean, everything I've heard, I have asked this question, and obviously, you know, people will tell you that it's not, but, you know, I've had no indication at any stage um, that his 
decision not to take the wage cut has been reflect has reflected on his opportunities in the first team in any way at all. It hasn't. Mm-hmm. I can understand why it feels like that. Um, That's reassuring, by the way, because because that that shouldn't have been the reason. Yeah, and ultimately, you know, Mikel Arteta is sufficiently trusted with selection decision that he wouldn't he wouldn't make this decision under pressure um, from from Sanye. They they trust him to do the right thing by the club. Now, I can't speak to whether Mikel Arteta in his own head had thoughts that he has not, you know, vocalised to anyone else, because I haven't spoken to Mikel Arteta about this, you know, outside of a formal press conference and things like that. We we can't know what's going through Mikel Arteta's head, but, you know, everything that I've heard publicly and and privately is that it hasn't really made a difference. And that, that what it really comes down to is that Arsenal weren't that much better with him or without him. And, you know, Arteta wanted to to go in different directions, try different things. He wasn't entirely sold on the, the benefit that Ozil brought to the team. You know, if you go and look at the numbers, Arsenal as an attacking force are pretty much the same with or without Ozil. And you make a degree of defensive compromises to get him in the team. And that's pretty much what it came down to. And, you know, he said pure footballing reasons. And I think we always like to assume that there's something hidden away with these things. But there isn't. I don't. I really don't think there is. I don't. You know, everyone knows where they stand. You know, Messi Özil knows that he is a, a fringe player and that his presence often creates more drama on and off the pitch than uh, is ideal. He knows that the club would be quite happy for him to move on. And let's be honest now, the club know that he's not really going anywhere. Um, I know there's been some talk about paying off his wages. I don't know how real that talk is. I think maybe in a normal summer, I could. I think it would have made a lot of sense. I just don't. I guess see I would happen. say this, James: if he's not even going to make the bench for any game the entirety of next season, you're already paying off his wages. So at that yeah. point, just do it. And you know what I mean? Like, like if oh, yeah. he is functionally not in a match day squad, you're already paying off his wages. That's certainly true. I hadn't thought of it like that, and um, I think the the trade off is just. You know, is there an is is Özil in his head now? Just thinking, well, I can I can wait you out. I mean, we know that Özil has previously just outlasted Unai Emery's self control and his ability to to stick by his principles. Uh, yeah, I would suggest see. that's not happening with Arteta. <laughs> I don't exactly. I do not think that Mikel Arteta will is for turning on this. I don't really see him as being someone that's that's in Arsenal's in Arsenal's plans. But <laughs> I just. Um, to be honest, uh, I'm just I'm tired of it all. I uh, appreciate that Mesut Ozil wanted to get his point across um, in an interview, and I thought it was a, a very illuminating interview. But you know, it's what is there? What what more is there to say about this? He's he's not functioning at, at the level that his salary demands he should, um, and he's not functioning as Arsenal would want a number ten to function. No. In, in pure footballing terms. So it kind of comes down to then, well, you know, let, let's let's head into next season and say, you know, it's the EFL Cup and you're rotating and Arteta's decided he wants to play a 4-2-3-1. Why on earth would he ever consider Mesa Ozil for that? Because the, the two parties are breaking apart. Yeah, no, you got to that- pick Emil Smith-Rowe there, right? Because the upside oh, that- of, of picking a guy like Smith-Rowe is far beyond the guy whose career is is at an end, you know, in terms of Arsenal. 
And Arteta has, has even in the restart, he's been looking at the long the long term picture here, and the long term picture is Mesut Ozil isn't part of our plans in a year's time. So why, mm. except in emergency, is he part of our plans tomorrow? That's why Matt Smith gets on the bench because he is yeah. part of your long-term vision. You want to hear the irony. The irony, of course, is a lot of us are like, look, at this stage in Ozil's career, he's just not really going to help Arsenal and it's that simple. And the guy we've signed to be the attacking midfield uh, <laughs> attacking midfield addition is one year older than Mesut Ozil or, or at least a few months older than Mesut Ozil. Look, I think the good news is I would certainly like it to be the case that Ozil wasn't frozen out for the wage cut issue because that feels sort of like extortion. Some of the questions he had about the wage cut, even if I don't agree with Ozil on a lot of things, he had questions about the wage cut that I think are fair. And I think he spoke as an avatar for some of the other players who don't have the ability to speak up in that way or were fearful of doing it, especially younger players. So I have... It is possible to hold two contradictory ideas in your head at the same time, people. I know that's not what we do on the internet these days, but while I don't necessarily think Ozil helps us on the pitch much anymore, I think some of the -the off-the-pitch stuff with Ozil, he has a point. Um, What I will also say is, look, just point blank, if Mikel Arteta wanted to finish this season out in a back three, you tell me, where's he playing in a back three? He's not playing as one of the two in midfield. You're not going to play a Shaka Ozil midfield two in a back three. So now you're talking about making him sort of one of those frontline players instead of a Pepe, instead of an Aubameyang, or instead of a, a Lacazette. And that doesn't work either. So from a purely footballing standpoint, it would have been hard to find a role for him. Now you could say, well, we shouldn't have played a back three, and that's a different issue, and I agree with you. But I guess the end of the argument here is simply this. Mesut Ozil's time helping Arsenal on the football pitch seems to be over. I think some things have been done wrong by the club vis-a-vis Ozil, for sure. But I think at the end of the day, his contributions did start to leave a lot to be desired. And I can say a lot to be desired with respect to his wages, sure. But even without the wages, Mm. I think we started to move to a point where what he was giving us wasn't enough for the just volume of distraction that comes with a player of Ozil's stature. And that's not entirely Ozil's fault. It's just the reality. So uh, you've been more than generous with your time, and I know you have other things you have to do uh, as news is always breaking around the club, and hopefully not the club itself. So let's leave it there. Unfortunately, Paul is going to come on next, uh, but we'll find something to talk about with him. James, I really appreciate it. You can find James on Twitter at James Benj. You can read his stuff at football.london, and I, I certainly hope to chat with you soon. My pleasure as always. Just a year ago, James, we were, uh, we were sitting in Los Angeles together. Crazy. Much more than a year. Yeah, crazy. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, unfortunately, no, I'm kidding. Paul will be here. We'll talk more about Arsenal. Stay with us. All right, we're back. And now Paul is here, and we can uh, dive into the William stuff a little bit more and maybe just touch on... Uh, the inner workings and machinations of the club. So, uh, Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo. Woohoo, indeed. Okay, real quick. Uh, you're just sort of 30,000 foot reactions to Willian arriving at Arsenal. So, um, he looks good in the shirt, I must say. Yep, yep. Um, no disagreement there. Yeah. He's a, he's a good looking lad. I guess I should have known that already, but it's just a little shock to the system. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I like it. Now, I don't like it. When we're when we've spent twenty minutes talking about squad building, and then you bring up a name and you say, "Does this guy fit our squad?" Bit, but I do like him, and you know I'm busy rationalizing <laughs> the deal for us. Of course, look, it, you have to get behind it now. So yeah. can I just say something, Paul, real quick? Yeah. We're Arsenal fans, so at this point, I'm going to try to really like Willian 
I'm going to try to really enjoy William. I'm going to talk myself into the idea that it's going to be great. So I don't want to put you in a position of having to bring everybody down. I think we can analyze whether it's a good move while admitting now it's time to get behind it because he's an Arsenal player. You know? Yeah. Now, there's lots of financial things in the background, signing bonuses, blah, 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 that we don't know. But if he's in, in the 100 to 120K mark and we got him for three years, you know, if you told me we got him for two years at, well, if I asked you, Willian for two years uh, without too many add-ons for like 100 to 120K, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, I, I was talking about this earlier. Like, I mean, at that point, you're talking about maybe 11 million pounds over two years if there are no other, you know, if there isn't like a 20 million bonus payment to someone or something like that. So A Luis deal. Yeah, yeah. Luis. I mean, it's it's... And a lot of that is really, I think, critically... Uh, dependent upon whether you think he will fill a role in the squad that we needed mm. and whether you think his age-related decline will be a slow burn or a cliff. Now, nobody knows yeah. that. Time will tell. Obviously, the little if he is next season what he was this season, that's a good player who can help us. Yeah. So, like, I wouldn't have... <clears throat> I, I would have much preferred to see... A, a Sven Mislintat style signing. Now you can go back to who Sven, who we signed under Sven, Sven Mislintat. Thank God he's not here anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality, but that the I prefer the Sven concept. But but as a signing, two years, William. I think he's. Uh, I've always liked him as a player. I haven't watched a huge amount of him, but every time I I watch him in a game, I think, yeah, he's he's really good. I like him. He's solid. He generally performs. Uh, I've always liked the way he carries himself within the team. So I think he's. Uh, I can, and when you look at experience, uh, we have a where we have a lot of youth in our team is up front. So you want them to get minutes, but also Arteta, when things get serious, is going to want to lean into some experience. So you could see why. I don't quite know how he's going to work with Pepe because I know I've seen a lot of. Rep- people reporting that he's really a left winger who plays on the right sometimes. Almost every time I watch, he's on the right and looks good and stays wide. And that's where Pepe Pepe plays. And I want to see a lot more of Pepe, not a lot less next year. So I don't really understand that. There was kind of some people have mooted the idea that uh, he likes he would like to play more centrally, more as a kind of attacking midfielder, which w- could be really interesting. But again, that's massive projection. We have no idea if that's how Arteta sees him at all. Um, and from the left, I mean, I don't know. That's Aubameyang's spot. Maybe Aubameyang moves centrally. Do you, do you I mean, think he would? I mean, I, I haven't seen any evidence to suggest nope. that. People people want to wish it into existence, but I don't, nope. I don't see evidence for it. Yeah, so, yeah everything. Arteta never talks about how it feels like a compromise to him. Maybe to Aubameyang, he he implies might is might be playing somewhere he doesn't think is his favorite spot. But if we got further up this pitch and were more creative, I don't think Aubameyang would have any grumbles. I mean, we've seen in the FA Cup uh, final that uh, he can get centrally and do real damage. <clears throat> If you give them the opportunities and if you can create, that's not necessarily the template of how we want to play next year, but give them lots of chances. You can get them centrally. Um, now, I don't see how we've addressed the creativity standpoint, except, to, but it would be fair to say that 
Willian is much more of a creator than a goal scorer, uh, probably because because when he plays wide, that keeps him wide, and so he'll get into the box and and create crosses, which could be very nice for Aubameyang swooping in from the left into where the penalty spot is or into the six-yard box. So you could see a real combination between those two players. Um, But I'm still scratching my head about how you get him, Aubameyang, and Pepe on the pitch at the same time without somebody playing seriously out of position, at least as I see them. Yeah, I guess then, I mean, in in terms of the way this deal is done, I don't want to... I mean, we, I talked with James about William quite a bit. I, I, I do want to ask you one more question about William, but then sort of get into the structure of the deal and, and sort of where we're going and what we're doing with this. So, um, you know, Mikel Arteta's comments, he talked about wanting to prioritize winger and also that he could play as an attacking midfielder. I, I mentioned that I found it odd that he was prioritizing winger because I don't see that as one of the higher priorities in the squad. I mean, how do you react to Arteta's comments? Is it sort of wish-casting to say, eh, yeah, sure, he can play attacking midfield when, like, it's not something he has done, and it is definitely an old dog, new trick situation. And how do you feel about winger being a priority when at least at first glance to me, that would not have been something I would have identified? If it were a left winger, and I mean, he has played there. Um, but again, know, in order for left wing to yeah, be yeah. a priority, yeah. you have to believe Oba won't be playing there. And Saka and Martinelli, I realize Martinelli's out till sometime in January probably, but like they exist. Okay, but how, aren't we creating a trap for ourselves between the two of us? Like, say we get an extra forward, uh, an, an extra winger on one side or the other. Uh, we have two experienced, if we want to call them wingers then. We have Aubameyang and, and Pepe at the moment. So we're kind of between the two of us locking ourselves out of getting an experienced winger, which might be your point, which is this isn't where we needed to spend well, vis-a-vis money. the other squad deficiencies, right, Paul? I mean, if, if yeah. we were a 9 out of 10 squad, I might say another experienced winger helps. But you know what I mean? When you, when you yeah. look at where the need it, – it's always in context, right? I'm not saying you can't use another experienced winger. I'm saying it wouldn't yeah. have been high on my list. You know? No, and this is clearly, a given the deal and the age of the player, a player we're planning to play a lot next – you know, he, this guy's mostly a starter or, or you don't bother. You don't really bring him in to make everybody feel good and to – work you know as a second coach and to to kind of add some atmosphere to the dressing room so this guy's going to start most games next year where is he going to start so i don't know um and the the attacking midfielder thing sounds like one of those things every manager we've ever had which is basically wenger <laughs> um because we're going to ignore the other guy always says things like the bad man <laughs> uh, yeah um, he can play this, but he could also do that. It doesn't necessarily mean that's h- how we end up seeing the player getting used at all. So, um, you know, w- we won't get into wish. Uh, I'd love to see that as an experiment, but it'd be an experiment. Um, it, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. I, there's lots of things that I like William as a player. I think. I can see why we'd want to do it for two years. I can rationalize the fact that maybe we're overpaying in the third year and he'll just be a squad player, but he could be a very useful squad player. I can almost get myself there as long as we make the other investments in younger players. Um, I mean, uh, I've heard it said we don't have a lot of... uh, So an interesting question, right? We had Ted on and he talked about the, the 
prime window, the peak window being 24 to 26, which I thought was really short. Uh, maybe that's if you're Brentford, right? If you're really putting on Brentford goggles and you got to get them in, get them to get them at peak, sell them on, bring the next guy in, and you're really turning the crank. But you know, uh, maybe it's 23 to 28 ish. We we plenty of players in the in that section there. They're just not the players whose names we're going to get excited about. They're players we we might want to move on or who might be staying, but they don't excite us too much. You know, you got Chaka, who mm. obviously lots of different opinions on that. He's probably staying uh, and will probably be central. But you got your, you know, Holding, Chambers, uh, Kalasinac. You got a, a whole bunch of players who are right in that zone, but they're probably the players we want to uh, or will look to move on. And that's kind of the area where we're hollowed out in, in turn, you know, we got lots of exciting young players, but Arteta won't want to lean on them yet for another season or two for all the minutes. And they tend to be more attacking players. So I, I can see the experience thing. I just don't know if we needed two very expensive play them next, have to play and have to start next season wingers. Um, so I don't know. I don't get it. Mm. So <clears throat> let's get into the let's get into the deep water now. Um, oh yeah. What's your level of concern? Look, it can be true that Willian helps us. It can be true that the Willian deal works out. It can be true that Willian's age doesn't become a problem. That he doesn't hit a cliff. That he fills a role that we wind up needing. Those things can be true, and it can also be true that the way the deal came together and the decision to go with Willian in the immense universe of players out there is worrying. Um, where do you fall? Putting aside, look, it's time to get excited about Willian. He's an Arsenal player. So that's our job as fans. Let's get excited. Let's get behind him. Fine. What's your level of concern about doing this deal, another deal with an agent? I think we now have, what, what three three deals we've done with him. Is that right? Um, you know, I, I think... The coziness of it, the this sort of helping an older player find a home on a longer deal than his home club or other clubs willing to give. Again, even if it works out, process versus outcome. How worried are you about the process and the the sort of ramifications of of doing deals like this? Um, again, you can say this every time with everything you say on the William deal. On its own, I'm fine with it, right? But as part of a pattern, it's just one more. Um, and you know, it's, it's, so I went back to the Sven Mislintat interview, which I think given, uh, Jurabjian's pointed remarks, uh, at Sven Mislintat, there's kind of a, you'd almost say, Ooh, they're, they're having a go at each other. So like the quote, uh, I honed in on from Sven Mislintat was, uh, this was, what date was this? This was. Friday, 19th July, 2019. So it's gone back a bit. I'd act, it had actually been agreed that I would become technical director. Okay. Uh, then he goes with, we had, basically things changed. We had different approaches, he added. Previously, we had a strong systematic approach to transfers, a mixture of watching things live as well as quality data and video analysis. Act, Arsenal actually owns their own data company. 
all good so far. I think we're all like rubbing our hands. That sounds good. That meant we acted independently. We knew about all markets and players and all positions that came into question. However, the new leadership work more strongly with what they are offered from clubs or agents through their own networks. Now, that didn't miss our attention back then, but it's funny with every window, with every few months that go past, how how just everything was in that one sentence. Yeah, well, I mean, I thought the interesting thing with Sven, and I, I didn't read Sven's entire reaction. It doesn't sound like he reacted much, Paul, but, but his whole thing about like, I don't have to say shit. Anyone who knows how football clubs are run can look at what's happening over there and know what the deal is. Like, is yeah, that kind of a the, kill shot? <laughs> it, it is. But the beauty of the Jurabjian coming back at him, it, it's almost like they that Jurabjian took that personally, and he should, as, right? Yeah, as he should. And look, he's not. Yeah. I do want to say one point. There, I don't know this is true, but it's been told to me, and I, I believe it's true because it's been told to me by quite a lot of people who don't have a reason to lie about it. The Kia has been an Arsenal fan long term. That he is an Arsenal fan. Who cares? So like, well, the only reason I care is because what I would say is that, like, for an agent who does business with a club to just pop off on talk sport about it isn't super awesome. But like, if you're an actual fan too, I could see how it might be hard to like not put your fan hat on and want to have a go. You know what I mean? Like, look, I'm talking into a mic about Arsenal right now. Like, it it's fun as a fan to have to get your word out there. So like, I I can. I co- think there's such different things. We see it with players who were fans of clubs when they were kids or fans to then they get fucking signed by man united they'll have your fucking guts for garters he could give a shit about arsenal honestly um that's a different side of the brain the fan brain and i want to be a superstar agent he'd fucking sell his grandmother's liver to become the top agent on the planet he doesn't give a shit and like i'm normally the one who would be have all sorts of time for people's sensitivities and their leanings and shit. But uh, the, he's a young man at a stage in his career wearing shiny suits, running with the big boys. He could give a fuck what team he supports. The team he supports right now is uh, Raul Sanlehi because Raul Sanlehi is the guy who's given him the ticket to the ball game. So uh, I, I just don't think it's a factor. It's a nice thing when when they all align. He could give a shit. He'd he'd be if he could line up the Man United relationship with their budget. Uh, he would forget in an instant that he was ever an Arsenal fan. He doesn't care. I wouldn't care. I mean, I like I'm a here I am with all this passion for the club. But if suddenly my career at the age of thirty something or whatever he is was dependent on my agent to super agent status i mean fuck that shit mm. uh, it does not impact you yeah no I, for, I i just go ahead sorry yeah no i yeah, I, I agree with that i i do agree i guess what i'm saying is that like if i you know if i were an agent and i was bringing players to like manchester united i mean obviously i'd try to bring them the worst players at the worst prices but yeah. you know I, I wouldn't be invested in it emotionally but if I became an agent tomorrow and was trying to bring a player to Arsenal, like I would be invested. I think it would be hard for me to not be invested. Now, at some point, you have to be a professional. I get that. But I do wonder you know, if, if that's why the criticism roils him a little more. Because in his mind, he might think, I love this club and Sven, you're, you know, you're a hobo interlocutor. You know, someone who, who... I think it's much more driven by the fact that him and Raul and maybe Edu are very, well, and it has to be Edu. I mean, there's, they've worked together in the past and at Corinthians and all that good stuff. They're their own little clique. They get together and they fucking hate Sven. 
Yeah. Look, because by the way, he said shit and he called them out and he put the pressure on them. And so the words out there, that's what drives this. It's not his Arsenal fandom. The reason he's he's in talk sport, it's the old PR, the propaganda PR war. Get some licks in on Sven. The wonderful thing is Sven's going to come back at them. So the shit's going to start coming out. That's the wonderful side of it. Sven's already shown a desire to to settle the score. So he hasn't said anything since for some time now. We'll be hearing a missive from Sven from his side very soon. But the good thing is it gets it out in the public sphere. Uh, the, the chap on the board, Tim Lewis, is there protecting the Cranky's in the Cronkies interests. Um, so maybe this is going to push it right where it needs to be in the middle of the media with everybody looking at it, questioning why they're doing what they're doing and what these cozy relationships are so that this can move to being about Arsenal and not about Raul's power grab. Uh, remember that uh, movie? Uh, is it um, Far Away or something? The Tom Cruise yes, one where he's supposed away. to be Irish. Yeah. Uh, and they're on the horses and he's riding the horse and he has to stake the flag in the middle of the ground to claim their field. Do you remember that? Nicole yeah. Kidman. Yeah. Yeah, that's oh, when, they were, when they were still in love. Well, they were never in love, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> she was so a spirit. That's this is all a Did land grab. Yeah. No, I didn't say that. The land grab. They're trying to hang on to what they got. By the way, uh, I, I, I got to stop. Real, match out in the media. Real quick, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get pulled up on this. Obviously, I didn't mean interlocutor. I meant interloper. So, you know what? Like, we all slip up sometimes. It's a hot mic. Interloper is what I meant. Uh, Sven was yeah. an interloper. Anyway, uh, look, I want to leave it there, but with one last quick point. Uh, Tim Lewis doing an internal investigation into the Pepe deal and some other transactions. Look. The revenue model has changed dramatically at Arsenal in the wake of the pandemic. So Tim Lewis reviewing every ounce of how our money is spent, every uh, every pound, every farthing, every what what, yeah. what are some other things they have over there? Uh, guinea, every guinea. Like yeah, it makes sense. But also, given some of the narrative around these deals and the questions about how they came about, it could have some people uh, at Highbury House sweating. Do you yeah. see this as just sort of a matter of pra- uh, pragmatism from a club that's revenue model has changed or or should they be sweating in their very expensive suits? Um, I'd like to think it's the latter. I mean, yeah, so would I. So would I. Let's get salacious. <laughs> uh, I mean, they did just do this thing of getting rid of all our scouting network, apart from interestingly South America where – Maybe Edu actually wants to keep scouting live. Now, I know they need scouts in South America because maybe the video coverage isn't as good, blah, blah, blah. But it is interesting. That's the network he kept in place. Um, but here we are. It, it, you know, if Tim Lewis came in, uh, put the put the clamp on everything and said, all right, stop everything you're doing. I'm reviewing it. It's still interesting that Raul kind of got his way with that agent thing. So I don't know what whether it means Raul's uh, been to- told to shut up and sit in the corner for a while or or they're just kind of tightening things up but Raul's still pushing forward running the show and things are good for him but there's a there's a whole lot to talk around this uh, I think it could go either way but uh, I do wonder if Jarabchian making his comments right now in the market is a response to protecting his reputation given that there could be a spank down coming from from internally within Arsenal to say that's enough of this shit for a while and making him not look quite as good. Mm. You want to leave it there? 
Yeah. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woo-hoo. My name is Alex Smith. You can buy me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We'll have a pod for you in about, I guess, like an hour and a half when the next thing comes out. So uh, we'll talk to you then. Yeah. Uh, stay safe out there. The news is flying. Keep your heads down. Stay safe. We love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal Tad Transfer Window News. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.